0: looking at verses 7 to 10. Uh, I believe it's on page 976 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide. So last week we began uh, working our way through this very long sentence at the beginning of Ephesians which goes from verse 3 to verse 14. It's one sentence in the original Greek language but it is about five sentences in ours and uh, as we talked about last time that uh, this is a great benediction. We're Paul is blessing God for being a giver of all sorts of spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and last week we looked at two particular blessings that um, God has given to us in Christ Jesus, and this week we look at two more of those blessings. So please stand with me out of reverence for God's Word as we read it. Um, This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. And friends, so ends the reading of God's word. And what do we know about God's word? It is no empty word for us, but our very life. Let's pray together. Oh, great and merciful God, we do pray that you would bless your word. This is indeed our very life, our very hope that you have revealed to us by your spirit. And so may your spirit give us eyes to see of the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus this morning, even as we exalt him in our thoughts in our minds and our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> it's no over-exaggeration uh, to say that the year 2020 has been an unprecedented year for us as individuals across the world, and it makes us wonder, what is the Lord up to? Um, you know, we rightfully hold that God is sovereign, that he is sovereignly working out all his holy will. But as we look at the uh, events unfolding before our eyes, uh, it can be perplexing for us on this side of Scripture. Whether we're looking at a worldwide pandemic or we're seeing racial tensions coming to a boiling point, rolling over to anarchist rioting, or we see such extreme social or political polarization that trickles down to our schools or our churches or even to our families. And even when we look at scripture, it's a can be a ambiguous, seems like it's an ambiguous time in redemptive history because we rightfully know that God created the world by the word of his power. Um, he created mankind, male and female, in his own image. We acknowledge and recognize the fact that mankind fell into sin and that God dealt with that as he would, even promising salvation. We, we can acknowledge that God um, entered into covenant with uh, Abraham to be Uh, be God to us, uh, to uh, save for himself a particular people. We see that unfolding over the course of time as uh, God entered into uh, other covenants with people such as David. We see God giving prophets and priests and kings, and all those things we can even acknowledge are pointing ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we confidently assert that the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, became man, lived, died, was raised to life, and ascended into heaven for our sake. And then we'll even read the book of Acts, and we'll see how, by God's grace, he poured out his spirit so that the gospel message of Jesus Christ would go out into the world. But now we're about 2,000 years away from that, and we wonder, what is going on? What is the Lord doing? Are we where what are we supposed to do in the midst of this are we in a holding pattern are we just kind of treading water waiting for some indeterminate point in time are things actually moving in a particular direction what is going on well Paul in this passage i think can give us great hope because in this passage Paul is saying that god is deliberately and intentionally and purposefully working towards our great hope a great end and that end is All things in heaven and in earth, in the heavenly realms and in the earthly realms, united under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is moving in that direction. And as we talked last week, um, this is part of this broader text from 13 to 14 in chapter 1, where Paul is talking about these blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And today in today's passage, Paul basically says that not only has he blessed us, but he has lavished on us the riches of his grace. He's lavished on us the riches of his grace. And as he describes these two other blessings. And these two other blessings that we see are his redemption in Jesus Christ and His revelation of His plan in Jesus Christ. His redemption and His revelation. So, uh, we start uh, by looking at revelation or redemption. He says, "In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace." So, one of our favorite titles for the Lord Jesus Christ is Redeemer. In fact, many of us. Used to be members of a church called Redeemer. But kids, have you ever stopped to think about what the title Redeemer means? So Redeemer is somebody who redeems, and that process of redeeming is called redemption. But what does redemption mean? Paul says here, in him we have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? Now, some of us would probably answer deliverance. It's uh, deliverance from something. It's salvation from something. I'm thinking about that passage that we read from Exodus chapter 6, where God delivered his people out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. Or we might think about his delivering us from bondage to sin. And deliverance is certainly a part of what redemption involves, uh, but it's a little bit more than that. Because when we, when we talk about redemption, it is, we're talking about um, purchasing something at a price. So it is deliverance or liberty or release at a price. A similar word to redemption would be ransom. So a ransom is granted liberty or release at a purchase price. And so when we talk about we have been redeemed, that we have redemption in his blood, there is a purchase, uh, a purchase price. So, but we need to ask when he says we have redemption in his blood, um, if we we have been granted liberty or release or deliverance from something, what is it that we've been released from? What is it that we have liberty from? What is this redemption for? And he doesn't say specifically in this passage, he starts to hint at it, but he doesn't say specifically. And I think if we scour the pages of scripture, we might see two key things that we have been redeemed from. The first is we've been redeemed from sin, and the second is we've been redeemed or delivered from the law, sin and law. So first we've been redeemed from sin. He says here in this verse, he says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses when we talk about being redeemed from our sin or delivered from our sin we have been redeemed from the guilt of our sin so our sin makes us guilty in the sight of a holy god it makes us guilty of committing an offense against him but if we have been granted we have forgiveness of our sins then we are no longer guilty we're forgiven because we have redemption in his blood that Christ Jesus became guilty with our guilt and God poured out his wrath on that guilt he satisfied that guilt so that we would no longer be guilty so if we've been forgiven we are no longer guilty in the sight of our God which is tremendous now you if you've come to Christ and you've come to know your state before a holy God, no doubt you've sensed your sin and you've sensed the guilt of your sin. And if you have, that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing because that is something that is given by the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our tendency is to deny our guilt, to deny, to deflect, or to dismiss the reality that our sin is something that incurs some kind of guilt. And I would say confidently that if you've never felt the guilt of your sin, that you may not be a Christian. Because our position, our need for a Savior, comes from the fact that we are guilty in the sight of a holy God. We are unholy. We have committed offenses against Him. And the Holy Spirit gives eyes for us to see our guilt So that we would cling on to Christ as our only hope for salvation. So it's not not healthy for us to deny our guilt. It is right for us to admit our guilt so that we might cling to the only hope that we have, which is Jesus Christ. But if you've sensed that guilt and you've clinged to Christ just as confidently as you feel that remorse over your sin, know for certain that we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Your guilt has been taken away, and you are forgiven. That's a glorious promise. But the other side of our redemption from sin is that we've been redeemed from the power of sin. Now, um, the Apostle Paul says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are in bondage to sin, and we can't Escape that bondage unless we have been redeemed or uh, set free from that. But that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has purchased our freedom from that bondage. And as the Apostle Paul says in chapter 6, we've been set free now from sin. So why would we live in it any longer? We have been set free from the power of sin. We can live, uh, we can do deeds of righteousness, we can put to death those sins which are in our lives. And yet at the at the same time, we have to understand that we do continue to sin. We pursue holiness, we pursue righteousness, and yet we still sin. So you might be asking, but don't those two things conflict? Like how could we have, um, how could the power of sin in our lives be broken, and yet we continue to sin in our lives? And I would put it to you like this. We are like prisoners that have been living so long in prison that we've grown accustomed to our accommodation in prison that we are uncomfortable leaving. We say, I've really grown used to this food. And, you know, I look really good in an orange jumpsuit. And it's really comfortable. And I know all my prison mates. And there's something about freedom and a new life and change that is terrifying. I'm not sure that it's better than what I have, Um, but we've been set free from that and we need to um, move away from that. When I was in the army uh, in ROTC in college, we would go on these field training exercises and depending upon how long we were or what we were doing and how strenuous it was and how involved we were, we might go sometimes without changing our clothes. And uh, it doesn't take too long, you know, just a little bit of exertion and a little bit of sweat, and cert- a certain couple of things start happening with your t shirt. It starts happen- sticking to your body, it's clinging to your body, and it starts to smell. But, friends, uh, we have had our sins clinging to us uh, so tightly that we become smell deaf, we don't notice the smell. Uh, we don't but they're odious they're repugnant in the eyes of our god and we cannot live with them any longer we've been called to do much more we've been called to peel off that those sins and to put on the glorious dress of our lord jesus christ and to walk in the newness of, that we have as it says in hebrews let us throw out every weight and the sin that clings so tightly and let us run with endurance the race that has set, been set before us. We have been set free from the power of sin. We must not live in it any longer. Um, but in addition to being uh, released or given liberty from sin, we've also been released from the law. And just a few different ways there. First, we've been released from the curse of the law. So the law tells us that we must live in a particular way. And if we break the law, then we are liable to its curse death. And uh, all the like, everything that is liable for the, the curse of the law. But in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from the curse of the law because he obeyed the law perfectly. So that in him, we have obeyed the law perfectly. And in his body, he endured the curse for us. As it is said, everything, everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. So he hung on the tree to be cursed for us. So that curse no longer falls on us. We've been released from the curse. We've also been released from the ceremonial law. All the ceremonial law, the sacrifices, the ceremonial washings, everything of the ceremonial law was prefiguring, pointing ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and He has fulfilled those things. We no longer sacrifice bulls or goats or sheep or pigeons or anything like that because the Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. We're no longer uh, bound to handle ceremonial washings because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. All of the rules and regulations of the ceremonial law have been uh, fulfilled in Christ, and we have been set free from that. But perhaps the most exciting is that we've been set free. We've been released from a law of works. Apostle Paul says that, all who would live accordance, all who would abide by uh, the works of the law must do them. uh, If you would would live by the law as your standard of righteousness before our God, your standing uh, before God, your acceptance um, before God, you must fulfill the law in its entirety. If you break one part, you've broken it all, James says. But we're all lawbreakers. And so if we follow that standard of the law as our uh, means of acceptance, then every one of us would fail. But in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus fulfilled that law so that we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. So that by grace, through faith, we are accepted in Jesus Christ. We are loved by Jesus Christ. We are found righteous in Jesus Christ. And we can dwell in his presence because we are no under no longer under a law of works. But at the same time, we have to say that doesn't mean that the law has been abolished. That doesn't mean that we don't have to obey God's law because we must still love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We must still love our neighbor as ourselves. The Ten Commandments are still a fulfillment, an explanation of God's holy will we still love the lord you know love the lord our god as the one true and living god and worship and serve him only we still remember the sabbath day we're still forbidden from committing adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and all those things but no longer as the means by which we are accepted by god but as a response to the grace that we've received in jesus christ We don't obey to earn God's favor. We have God's favor, and as God's children, we live as God would have us do. So we have been released from the law of works. And so we have redemption from sin, we have redemption from the law, and yet that's not the fullness of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, and just bear with me as I turn there. In verses 22 and 23, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. So in Christ Jesus, there is a redemption of our bodies that is yet to come. And so the redemption is not merely a spiritual redemption. It is a redemption of all of creation. And this is something that Paul says that we are waiting for, that creation is groaning, and we are groaning. We feel this tension, that things are out of whack, they're not right. um, And we're waiting for that consummation. And he says, we're waiting for that redemption to come. And so what we have to see is that these things that we have, this redemption from sin and this redemption of law, are a first fruits, a taste of the fullness of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus as he redeems all of his creation. And we see those, the glimpses of that now, even in the liberty that we have from sin and the liberty that we have from the law. I mentioned that um, redemption is payment at a price. But did you notice the price? It says, we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. We have been set free by the blood of Christ. Notice it doesn't say uh, we have redemption through his death. Though we might say that. But he says specifically his blood. And throughout scripture blood is plays an important part of the the biblical story doesn't it um, covenants were ratified in blood things the common things were purified by the sprinkling of blood when something was sacrificed the blood was required and here it says that we are we have redemption through his blood it is was necessary for Christ to shed his blood, to fulfill these things, to give us that redemption. We have redemption through his blood, but it's not just any blood, is it? Kids, what does it say? It says we have redemption through our blood? No. Through any old blood? No. It is through his blood, through Christ's blood. And if we back up just one verse, it says that this is the beloved, the beloved son This is the blood of Christ Jesus, our Savior, Christ Jesus, the beloved Son of God. So can you think about that for just a second? This is the shed blood of the beloved Son of God. Is there any blood more precious than this? The Apostle Peter says that we were ransomed not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is the beloved Son of God, who fully, eternally happy and blessed with the Father from all eternity, and out of God's great love, he sent his Son to take on flesh so that he would have blood to shed, so that he would be able to ransom a people for himself. There's nothing, there. The the Son, the beloved Son, is the highest treasure that the Father has. And yet the Father gave up His greatest treasure so that we might be redeemed. This is the most precious, the most costly price that could be paid. That is the price that you were bought with. The precious blood of the beloved Son of God. We have been redeemed through His blood. And you might wonder okay, so if, we were, if it's redemption, liberty is granted at a price, who got the payment? Who is the payment to? Now, people across history have answered this question wrongly by saying Satan was the recipient of this payment, as though God or Christ Jesus paid, shed his blood to pay Satan to uh, release us from his clutches. That is is false. That is a wrong statement. If anything, the Apostle Paul says throughout this book that Christ Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, that it is all-out warfare to disarm those uh, spiritual powers in his body, uh, in his power, in his might. Christ Jesus paid Satan absolutely nothing. No, the debt was not to Satan. The debt was to God's justice. In God's holiness. Christ Jesus came to pay the debt. To satisfy God's justice and God's holiness. So are you starting to get the picture yet? God himself was the offended party. God in his holiness. And yet out of his lavish grace. The riches of his grace. He said I will solve this problem. By sending my beloved son. To take on flesh. And to pay the penalty that is due me so that these recipients of my grace might be adopted as my children and might glorify me forever and ever. Do you see why Paul is exulting in the lavish grace, the lavish riches of God's grace? Because it is all from God, to God, and for God, for his glory, for his delight. He delights in rescuing us for himself by his own majesty and by his own beloved son. This is a glorious gift that we've received in Jesus Christ. But do you also notice what it says? It says that he, he uh, it was just according to it, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And that's phenomenal because let's think about what that means. That means that from eternity past, God in his wisdom in his intellectual insight conceived of this plan this was his plan before anything had been created before any one of us had sinned against God he conceived of this plan to exalt himself through giving of his blessed son this is it was it was deliberate It was intentional. It was wise. It wasn't a haphazard or reactionary response to mankind. This was God's plan from day one. This is an amazing thing. And praise God, he reveals that plan to us. Because if the first thing that he talks about is that we have redemption through his blood, the second thing is that he reveals that plan to us. He says, um, in verse 8, he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now he says to, that he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now this word mystery is a word that he likes to use in the book of Ephesians. And what it really just means in this case is it's something that was concealed, something that was not understood. Uh, One of the New Testament writers talks about how the New Testament, or the the prophets were searching eagerly to try to understand what the spirit of Christ in them was pointing to. This was in the Old Testament. And it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but us. Uh, it It was a mystery that was concealed, um, but has now been revealed. And it says um, that this was according to his good pleasure. Uh, Notice that it says, um, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. And we said last week that when Paul says this, you could translate it as according to his purpose or according to his good pleasure. He wants you to know this. He delights in revealing his Will. This is something that was concealed for from creation up until the Lord Jesus Christ, but now in Christ Jesus has been revealed. Um, People make a big deal about wedding engagements, and for good reason. And I remember um, when I had made the decision that I was going to ask Andre to marry me. I, my my planning went into motion. I started thinking about how I was going to ask her. What what was the, going to be the process? And wanted to create the the perfect situation. And my planning uh, took had to go through some particular steps. Like I had to figure out. I had to ask her kind of sneakily, you know, what what kind of ring she wanted because I wanted to have a ring when I asked her. And I had to go off and I had to purchase it without her knowing. And um, then. When, when I got real close, then I had to go over to her parents' house without her knowing and ask her dad. And once um, her dad had given me permission to ask her to marry me, then uh, it was just a matter of me waiting for just the right time to reveal the mystery of my plans to her. Now, if you think about it from her point of view, she had no idea what my plans were. Like I had revealed to her my love for her and my intent to... Uh, be committed to her but she didn't really know she had to just go off of my word she didn't uh, see these things and so she was wondering well is he going to ask me or is he not and when is it going to happen and how is that all going to transpire and when you don't know when you don't have certainty it causes anxiety fear concern but God's purposes have been set from eternity past And God was waiting for just the right time to reveal those plans to us in Jesus Christ. So perhaps we need to go back. We need to read the whole Old Testament thinking about that very thing, that from creation onward, God was patiently enduring his plan in Jesus Christ with anticipation of, I've got this wonderful secret. So, I mean, Think about it. When the Israelites grumbled, when they complained, when they said, where are you, Lord? What are you doing, Lord? Could you imagine the father just saying, just wait, just wait. I have got the most amazing surprise to show you. Something greater than you could ever ask or imagine. It's coming. It's coming. If you remember what uh, the Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans uh, for good and not for evil. plans to prosper you. He knew the plans. He was working out the plans, and those plans found their fulfillment, their culmination, their beginning, and their end in the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says, um, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And all those, all those plans find their culmination. This is the pinnacle of his praise, of Paul's praise, is this, this exaltation that Christ is the plan. Christ is the plan. And by God's grace, he reveals to us what the plan is. And he says this, he says, as a plan for the fullness of time, what's the plan? To unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what's the plan? The plan is to make the Lord Jesus Christ as the center point and the reference point of all existence. Jesus Christ as the center and reference of all existence. All things united together in Him. And in one sense this is a reuniting. Because at creation, before creation and at creation, all things were united in Christ Jesus. All things were created very good. We, Adam and Eve delighted in the Lord. And, and it was perfect. And yet it was in the fall that that union was broke. Broken. <laughs> uh, there was disunion. And we have been under that curse. We have been... Uh, fighting against God to that particular to this particular day up until the Lord Jesus Christ and the plan was to redeem God's creation all things in Christ Jesus it was the plan for the fullness of time to bring this about but now the Lord Jesus has come the Lord Jesus has come and so those things are working themselves out, we are moving towards that great and glorious end. And so when we think about these blessings that we have received in Christ Jesus that Paul's already told us about, these are a working out of that great and glorious plan to unite all things under heaven and earth. Because there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and for that to happen, Christ Jesus must redeem some by his blood, and for that to happen, he must choose some to redeem, and he must predestine them to be adopted into God's family, and so this choosing, this adopting, this redemption, these are all part of this great and glorious grand plan to unite all things in Christ, Things in heaven and things in earth. Or in other words, the spiritual reality and the earthly reality. There will come a day when all existence acknowledges the authority and the sovereignty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not there yet. But in God's grace, in his providence, he is calling those to himself. He is working that out even now through the work of the church. Now that doesn't mean that when we say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that every person will be saved because there will be some that kneel before our Lord Jesus Christ under duress with broken legs and the oppression of his hand. There will be those who confess because they are forced to to confess because there is no other way to acknowledge. And they will glorify our Lord Jesus Christ by receiving his outpoured glorious wrath for all eternity, not as a recipient of his grace, but a recipient of his wrath. And friends, if that terrifies you, it should terrify you, and it should motivate you because God in his grace has revealed his will now. Christ will be the the center of all existence. And now is the day of salvation. Now is the day when we can confess Jesus as Lord and receive the grace and the redemption that are ours in Christ Jesus. If you've never admitted that Christ is Lord, if you've never submitted to his will, today is the day to do that. Submit to him. Confess him as our as your king because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords and he will pour out his grace and his mercy upon you and if you have confessed christ as your savior how that ought to motivate you to put to death those sins and to pursue righteousness and holiness christ has come to cleanse you from those things and to bring you into his presence And how that ought to motivate us as a church and as individuals to share this knowledge that we've been given to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to those who don't know of this grace, that we might uh, love them, that we might glorify our our God as we uh, reveal this grace that we have. We must flee to Christ because he is The beginning and the end of all of God's plans. There is nothing greater than the Son of God who has come to save his people. Well, friends, 2020 has been a tough year. We're only halfway through, but it's been a tough year. But God would have us lift our eyes from the narrow focus that we have on the day-to-day struggles, even the global struggles our personal struggles, our unmet expectations, and to lift our eyes and to see that his plan, his perfect plan, has been set before eternity past. And it is working themselves out. It has been revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, and it is reaching the ultimate destination. We have been given the great privilege of being a part of that, of receiving that grace. And we have redemption through Christ's blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. And he has revealed to us his grace. What lavish grace. How he's lavished on us the riches of his grace. What a lavish and amazing and rich God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the treasures of your grace. Which are all found in your son, Jesus Christ. We do pray that you would help us to understand these things more deeply of your immense love for us that you would give up your only son and if you've given up your son how will you not give us graciously all things every spiritual blessing in your son Jesus Christ would you help us to be found in him that we might praise and glorify and adore you we pray all this in Jesus name amen